0: Acts chapter 8. Follow along with me as we read from verse 26 to the end of the chapter. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Rise up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And so he rose up and he went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over there and join his chariot. And so Philip ran up and he heard that he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. As a sheep is led to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will recount his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered and said, I ask you earnestly, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched him away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and he kept proclaiming the gospel to all of the cities until he came to Caesarea. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that by the power of your spirit you might teach us what it is that we need to learn this morning, remind us of what it is we need to be reminded of. But mostly, Lord, that we would that this this morning would be used by you to be a, a, a step, to be a to be a moment, to be a morning where we grow in a little bit deeper appreciation and affection for yourself, for your word, that we grow a little bit more intimate with the love that you have for us. Grow our love for you, Lord God. We love you because you first have loved us. We love you, Jesus, and we trust you with all things, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I must admit this morning that I am breaking my own rule. We've been going through Acts step by step, verse by verse, chapter by chapter at Night Church for the last several months, and that's ending. The last evening service is going to be on Easter. It's going to be on the 2nd. It will be it. Uh, so if you want to come and see what uh, is going on with Acts, tonight we're going we're to be introduced to uh, the persecutor of the church, Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. Um, and then we have one more week, and then that's it. And uh, so I don't really know what I'm going to do about that yet. Those of you who have been coming to Night Church regularly, thank you. Um, and uh, it's going to be on pause for a moment. I would like to continue preaching in Acts at some point. I just don't know exactly how to make that work right now. If you're interested in coming to some sort of, like, Acts Bible study, just email me person- personally, let me know, and we can make something work out. But for now, um, Josh has me uh, up here on Sunday mornings a lot more. He's got some plans for Sunday night, and so for the moment, we're, we're at pause. But we, this is the, the text that we considered last week, this uh, this text about the, the eunuch and Philip and and... I, I preached it last Sunday, and, and when Josh told me, he's like, you can preach it on whatever you want uh, Sunday morning, I, there's, there's a passage in Second Kings I've been wanting to preach for like a year and a half, and I just haven't done it yet. And I was thinking, oh, this would be the perfect week to do Second Kings chapter 5. That would be awesome. And the Lord just, it just didn't, you know when you leave the house and you, just, you, you feel like you forgot something? You just feel like you're missing an article of clothing or some, something's not quite right. It's kind of how it felt. I was like, I'm just going to do Acts, second, second Kings 5. And then I thought, no, no, I'm, I'm not. But why? I don't know. And, and, and I thought about this text again and what this text teaches us. And the Lord just laid it on my heart. He's like, you've got to preach that again. And I was like, man, that just, I, just, <laughs> I just preached that. I don't preach the same sermon twice. And he's like, that's your rule. It's a stupid rule. You're preaching Acts chapter 8. And I, okay, amen, yes and amen, right on. So we're here again. Um, and the reason why I, I, feel like, I feel like the Lord was, was pressing on me to, to preach this sermon again, one, there was only like 10 people from the morning service at night church last week. So for those of you who are there, this is a repeat. I'm sorry, but for the rest of you, um, what we discussed is the, how we need to take the word of God Seriously, we need to be students of Scripture. We need to know the Bible. Blood was shed for us to have the Word of God in our language. And I, I've I've said it many times before. I don't know if it was in the evening or in the morning or both. But so often our Bibles just collect dust. We run into some sort of problem, some sort of issue, some sort of complication, some sort of trial or travail, and we don't seek the Word of God. We don't seek Jesus. The living God of the universe, we, don't, we ignore him. And I think it's possibly because we have so many of these just laying around. You know, it's easy to just take for granted. But what this text teaches us this morning is the importance of knowing the word of God for ourselves and our own personal lives. And for the sake of others. And so the book of Acts is this incredibly amazing story of how God is building up his kingdom he's saving human beings and he's building up his kingdom here on earth through the church with each individual they get saved and regenerated born of the spirit of God and the way that he goes about doing it doesn't make any any sense to us but we're promised in scripture Daniel chapter 7 Daniel has a, vis- a vision listen to this this is prophesying. This is a, this is a vision of, of the Son of Man, the one who is to come. Listen to these words. This is Daniel writing. He says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. You remember, Jesus identified himself as the Son of Man more than, more than any other term that he used. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. One like a Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, And he came near before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all the peoples and nations and men from every tongue might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not be taken away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, and especially if you've read from Genesis to Daniel, you see very quickly and very, very ubiquitously, there's just kingdom coming up after kingdom they they rise up they they sub they 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 subject all of the territories around them to themselves they enslave them they murder them and then another kingdom rises up and kills that kingdom and it's always sword and blood and spear and battle and armor but there will be one a son of man who will come in his kingdom will be one that will never ever fade away, it will never go away, it will be an everlasting and eternal kingdom. And this is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus, and part of that kingdom is here and now. Everybody that's born again of God the Spirit is welcomed into that kingdom. We taste it in part now here on earth, but it's fulfillment, it's consummation is in the future. And the way that Acts shows us the Lord's, bat- his, his, his battle strategy is very odd. It's not with sword and spear and javelin and bloodshed and war, it's through submission. It's, it's actually, it's funny, you read through the scriptures and every time the church takes a hit, it grows. There's imprisonments, there's beatings, there's warnings, there's threatening, and then in chapter 7, Stephen is out and out murdered, he's the first Christian martyr, and opposite of common sense. You would think that people would run and hide and keep their mouth shut, but they tell the world even more and more and more about King Jesus. And when there's a persecution, they spread, and they just tell more and more people about the gospel. And that's where we land here. Philip is one of these men. He's elected in chapter six as, a, as basically a deacon to, to, to help serve the tables of the church make sure that things run smoothly the church needs volunteers to run smoothly and philip is one of these volunteers and he uh, he's fleeing from the persecution that rose up when stephen was killed when we were introduced to this guy the number one persecutor of the church saul and so Saul is there approving of the death of Stephen. There's this mass exodus from Jerusalem. Christians go all over the place, spreading the word of God, spreading the gospel, and here we have Simon. Early in chapter eight, he goes, he goes north of Jerusalem into Samaria, and there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a revival in Samaria, and Peter and John go up there to make sure that this is actually legit, and it is, and then right smack dab in the middle of all of this exciting ministry happening in Samaria, the Lord says to Philip, Leave, go south, which is where our text picks up today. Go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I and I want to land on this this the Spirit told Philip, go. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Rise up and go. And then the Spirit told Philip, Go over and join this Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. Philip was told to go. And I wanna I want to talk about that. He was told to do something by the Spirit of God. That's that's interesting. He wasn't told why. He was just told go. It didn't make any sense to him. All of this exciting stuff's happening in Samaria. The gospel's going forth. Peter and John are up here talking about how rad it is. I'm still here making this work. And and you want me to go down this desert road. All right. He's not told why. He's just told to go. Go go do it. And you know, the spirit of the Lord will do this. He'll He'll lay something on your heart. I believe that he laid on my heart to preach this sermon today instead of 2 Kings chapter 5. And there are those who stand up with a Bible behind a, a, a thing like this and they slam it and they say, the Lord does not do this anymore. If somebody comes up to you and they say, the word, the, I, I feel like the Lord has laid something on my heart to say or the Lord has laid something on my heart to do, they'll say, well, show me chapter and verse, otherwise it's not the Lord speaking he says nothing and he does nothing outside of what this book tells you. And I, and I think respectfully that they have more, the pastors that say that, the preachers that say that have more of a personal reason for saying so than an actual biblical reason for saying so. The Lord speaks to his people through our hearts, through our conscience, and we see it, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, Genesis chapter 12, The Lord said to Abram, go. Leave the land of your father, the land of your kindred, and go to a land that I will show you. And he obeyed. We have quite the opposite in Acts chapter 16. Listen to this. The Lord tells Abram, go. But he tells the apostle Paul, stop. Acts 16, verse 6. And as they pass through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia... After they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. The spirit of the Lord tells Abram, go. He tells Paul, stop. And I wanna share something from my own life. He told me, stay. And he's still telling me to stay here in Portland, Oregon. I, I remember this, this moment and I share this with you because maybe this will help you relate uh, some with what, I'm, with what I'm talking about. I, when, I, uh, when I left, you know, I... I think you guys know enough about my story that I was pretty bent on getting out of Portland and doing my own thing and living my Jack Kerouac dream and hitchhiking across the world and and having all these crazy weird experiences. Well, right in the middle of that, I I knew that I was doing something wrong, but I left Portland and I... uh, Went into, I, I moved to two different cities in Virginia. I, I, I road tripped across the country seven times in one year. I lived in Peru for a little bit. And it was, it was a mess. It was a zany mess. I was like Jonah running away from the Lord. And I knew that I was doing it. And I came back from Peru. I sold my truck. I bought a motorcycle. I started touring around the country with Samaritan's Purse. And I landed in Waco, Texas. I had a friend who I was visiting there in Waco. And, and at right about that time, I started to run out of money. And I remember coming to sort of this crossroads. I was literally at a Y. The distance between Waco and Portland is about 2,000 miles and the distance between Waco and Lynchburg where I had been living was about 1,200 miles. So they're pretty close. I could have gotten to either one. And in my, in my heart, I wanted to, go to, I wanted to go back to Lynchburg. I did not want to go to Portland. For all these reasons, I hated Portland, I was done with Portland, I was born here, I was raised here, I was, I was, I was over it. I wanted to experience something new, new community, new culture, I wanted to keep that going. But in, the, in my DNA, I felt a pull saying, you need to go back to Portland. Have you ever done this? No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go back to Portland, you need to go back to Portland. I wanna go to Waco, I wanna go, I wanna go to Lynchburg, I want, I want to go back to Lynchburg in that, that quiet, firm voice saying, but you need to go back to Portland. I'm telling you, you need to go to Portland. And I sort of like copped out. What I did was I I came back to Portland, but it was because I knew that I had a job here. I could make some money. It's not as sketchy as it sounds, but it was under the table, cash in my hand, every day tax-free i was like sick i'm gonna go it was a construction job it wasn't it wasn't anything weird i'm gonna do that i'm gonna make some money and then i'm gonna go when i got my pockets full then i'm gonna go back to lynchburg and that's not the way that it worked the lord got me back to portland and what began was the long slow road of becoming a pastor which is what i think the lord ultimately wanted me to do and now i'm raising my family here in portland but the reason why i share that story is because i was led to portland almost against my own wishes have you ever experienced that And I couldn't have shown you chapter and verse, right? I wouldn't have been able to open up my Bible and say, thus saith the Lord, move back to Portland. That's, That's not, it's not in there. And as much as it didn't make sense to Philip, he wouldn't have been able to point to chapter and verse, but he knew that the Spirit of God was telling him, go, leave Samaria, go down this desert road, and I'm not gonna tell you why. Sometimes the Spirit of God does this, The Lord does what he wants to do. Jesus shows up to Saul, the number one persecutor of the church, completely at random, so it seems. Saul's on his way, he's not not seeking the Lord, he's seeking blood, and the Lord shows up to him, stops him on the road to Damascus. We're gonna consider that tonight if you come at at 6 p.m. The Lord shows up, the power of the Spirit shows up in in miraculous powers through the apostles and through the disciples seemingly at random. Sometimes they, they perform miracles and people are healed. Other times they don't. Sometimes they're released from jail miraculously, and other times they're not. There's a responsibility to be sensitive to what the Spirit of God is and is not doing, what He is and is not saying. And so I, I think that to say that these sort of special revelations or these, these utterances from the Lord are legit, it can absolutely happen. And the pastors that say that it can't, I think it's because it can be dangerous to say that it can happen, right? It can be dangerous to say that the word of the Lord can come to you. It can be dangerous to allow a theology that gives the person the freedom to say, well, the Lord put this on my heart. The Lord told me to do this, the Lord told me to say this. That can get, that can get messy and it, and it can get weird. But we can't just throw it away. We can't just do away with that because it's dangerous. Driving is dangerous. They say that you're 10 times more likely or however many times more likely to die in a car accident on the way to the airport than you are to die in a plane crash. But yet we drive every single day. We do things that are dangerous. And this is something that I don't think we can just throw it away. We can't just throw away the idea that God speaks to us. We can't just throw away that he leads us. We can't just throw away the idea that he puts impressions on our heart. On one hand, we can't just throw the Bible away and sit in the field somewhere in the lotus position, in nature, waiting for the Lord to speak to us. We can't, we can't just do that. But we also can't throw away the leadings that the Lord puts on our hearts. And so what I'd like to put before you this morning is that while the Lord of God, the, the, the Spirit of God can speak to us personally, He can lay things on our heart, we need to know the Bible to be able to figure out, is this something that the Lord's actually telling me? And I, I have... A couple of examples, um, one, that, one that I'll share with you um, from my own life, because it's kind of funny. <laughs> um, I'm hesitating right now, because there's one that I want to share with you, but it's so serious that I'm, I'm thinking twice about it. But I, re- I remember years ago, Josh has told this story before. Uh, there was a girl at Door of Hope um, who came to Josh White, had a meeting with him, and she said to him, the Lord appeared to me, he spoke to me audibly, and he told me I'm gonna marry Ian, that's gonna happen. And Josh was like, do you think he told Ian that? You know? And she was like, it did not matter, he told me. And I, it wasn't Angela, I did, not marry, I did not marry this woman. But she was dead set, she was convinced that the Lord had told her we were gonna get married. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that was, I don't know how that worked, but that was misguided, it was wrong. I, I know people who have, who have done really tragic things. I I know of a person who walked into a very public arena completely naked because they were dealing with shame. They were dealing with with self-hatred and depression and anxiety and doubt. And what they believed was that the Lord was telling them, listen to this, listen to how sneaky this is. The Lord was telling them, you don't need to hide behind shame. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to be afraid of. Let the world see you. Let the world know who you are. You're loved. You're a beloved child. Don't be like Adam and Eve, naked and ashamed. Naked and ashamed. That's wrong. It's false. Don't don't be like that. So this person came to the conclusion that the Lord was telling them, I can be naked and unashamed. And so they walked into a public arena completely naked as an adult. And what's so sick about that is that it's such a twisting of a beautiful truth, right? Right? It's such a twisting of something that is so pure, and so good, and so uplifting, and so beneficial. And the devil just tweaked it enough to make it perverted and demonic. And so I stand confidently with Scripture that the Lord can speak to us. He can lay things on our heart, but we have to know the Bible. to to filter that stuff out, right? We need to back up what we think we are feeling with the written word of God. Otherwise, things can get insane. And the devil is a liar. He, is, he disguises himself as an angel of light. He would love to get us to do all sorts of words. How many school shootings? How many murders? How many horrific events have taken place in human history? And the perpetrator said, well, the voice in my head told me to do it. And sometimes they say the voice was demonic. Sometimes they say the voice was out and out God himself. It's it's false. It's wrong. We need to know the Bible so that if we get an inkling like man, you know what? I'm going down to going down to God, it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go down this dirt road. I'm leaving Samaria. I don't get it. But it doesn't it doesn't in any way violate God's heart. It doesn't violate his word. It doesn't violate scripture. We need to be students of the scripture for ourselves so that we can navigate life. We need to know the word of God. And my, my, my prayer is that we would want to know the word of God, but we'll get to that in a minute. Psalms 19.1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. There's something about who God is that's available to us just in the, just in the created order. You ever go outside and just look at the stars, maybe the moon, the sun setting, something like that, and just think this like, this is, I mean, even the most staunch atheists will say, you know, scientifically speaking, the, the, the created order, how everything works together, gravity, evaporation, the stars, the ocean, the tide, the, the molecules and, and the atoms in our very bodies, like that, it does kind of lean you towards feeling like somebody designed this, right? The heavens declare his handiwork. Romans 2.14, for when the Gentiles who do not have the law By nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts either accuse them or excuse them. We have the spirit of God alive inside of us. He gives us a new heart and he can lay something heavy on our conscience. But whatever that is that you think he's laying on your conscience, does it line up with his written word? You don't have to just guess blindly and end up doing something silly or tragic. We need to know the word of God for ourselves. We need to know the word of God for our own personal lives, for our own personal navigation. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God breathed. And it's beneficial for correction and for rebuke and for uplifting. So Philip knows the word of God. Philip feels this impression on his heart. Go down this desert road. It may not make sense. I'm not even going to tell you why, but go. Rise up and go to Gaza. So he does, he does, he obeys. Verse 27, so he rose up and he went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And as he was returning, he was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to him, go over, again, not telling him why, go over and join his chariot. So here's an Ethiopian eunuch, an African man who has been castrated in duty of his, of, of his services. And what, what I, I can't be dogmatic about this, but, but what was a common practice was that if you were a man who was working with a woman of high standing, like maybe the queen of the the, the queen of Ethiopia, that you would be castrated so that, you know, the risk of assault or of abuse uh, is taken away. So somebody would actually be castrated so that they could have this job, working with Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And the term Candace is just, it's an official title, most likely for the king's mother, the king of Ethiopians' mom. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch who is the treasurer working side by side with the king of ethiopia's mom and he's coming from jerusalem because he went up there to worship and you you just gotta pause and be like what is going on here in one sense this is the exact fulfillment of what jesus said in acts chapter 1 verse 8 you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth and we see that working out jerusalem was filled with the teachings of the gospel they went out to Judea. There was a, there was a, a, Stephen was crushed. He was killed. The Christians scattered, and the gospel went forth to Samaria, and now to the utter ends of the, an Ethiopian eunuch, a guy from Africa, a Gentile, a foreigner. Some would say an enemy, somebody that we don't like. Racism is our problem, not God's. He hates it. And he's showing his followers one by one that his gospel is for every tongue and every tribe and every nation. No matter, now remember, no matter how much Philip had read his Bible, and we will see he read it a lot, he wouldn't have known that there was a, an Ethiopian man traveling by caravan near Gaza. He wouldn't have known that. The Lord told him, go. And he listened. And so here is this Ethiopian eunuch who's, who's come about twelve to 1,500 miles to Jerusalem. Why? To worship? He doesn't know who Jesus is yet. That's why Philip has to talk to him. He's, there's, there's something going on with this guy. And maybe the something that's going on with this guy is going on with you. Are you sitting here this morning wondering why? There is some sort of pull. There is some sort of draw. Here's a, here's a man who's wildly successful, wildly influential. He was castrated in service to the queen, which eliminated any chance of him having a family. And that was a culture that venerated family. But his dedication to his, to his work, his dedication to his job has made him powerful and successful. But here he is 1500 miles from home seeking something. He's still looking, he's successful, he's influential, he's rich, but he's searching. Does that sound like you? Am I reading your mail? Is the word of God reading your mail? I came to church wondering why on earth am I in this building? Why am I here and not at the bar? Why am I here and not at some lady's house? Why am I here at church? Jesus says in John chapter six, no one can come to me unless unless God who sent me draws him or her. This Ethiopian man is being drawn by the Spirit of God, 1,500 miles away, a, a trip that was arduous and dangerous and long, robbers and thieves and illness and broken equipment and any number of things could have gone wrong. And this guy left his job, left his home to go 12 to 1,500 miles to Jerusalem looking for something more. The man doesn't know it yet, but he was looking for our King, our resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. And he meets Philip. So verse 30. And Philip ran up to him and heard that he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Do you know what you are reading? Philip, if he is intimidated by the entourage this man has, he does not let that affect him. He runs up alongside the chariot because he wants to share salvation with this stranger. Second Corinthians 4.14 says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I speak. We believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise raise us also up with him and bring us with you into his presence. Philip sees this guy, he doesn't know him from Jack or Jill, but he wants to share the good news of the gospel with him so that he will be raised up, they'll be raised up together into the presence of the Lord. The man's reading, perfect. Here's Philip's why. Why go to Gaza? Why go on this road? Well, he bumps into this guy and he just so happens to be reading the Bible and he just so happens to be reading Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage. I mean, you couldn't get any more better than this. God's timing is perfect. Some of us need to remember that because it feels like that's not true, right? Sometimes we think that God's timing is way off. Way too slow or way too fast. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him to guide? Do you trust him to lead? Do you listen to him when he speaks? Philip shows up at exactly the right moment. As a sheep is led to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will recount his generation for his life is removed from them, or from the earth? A sheep that is slaughtered, that's Isaiah 53, verses seven and eight. Verse 34, the eunuch answered and said to Philip, I ask you earnestly, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of somebody else? I, I love this. So this is, this is my prayer for Door of Hope. This is my prayer for myself. One, one of my prayers, a big one, is that the, the hunger that this guy has, the hunger that this Ethiopian man has, you can't force people to have that. When I started in the ministry, my mentor, Paul Anderson, He told me, he said, the most frustrating thing in your life is going to be that you know the gospel, you believe in the resurrected Christ, you believe that he's alive and well today, you believe that he's he's pursuing people, that he loves people, that he died to take the punishment of their sins to welcome them into his eternal heaven, and people are going to look at you, and they're going to fall asleep. They're going to look at their phones, they're not going to care, they're not going to be hungry for it. And I have found that that is absolutely true. So much of what Paul has told me throughout my life is frustratingly true. He's a wise man and I'm very thankful for him. And he said that is gonna be the thing, it's gonna be the pebble in your shoe. It's gonna be the sand on the back of your shorts. It's gonna bug you. People are not gonna be hungry. People are not gonna care. I cannot make you guys care. I can't make you care about the word. I can't make you care about Jesus. I can't make you care about the fact that you're gonna die any day now and some of us need to know Jesus in this room. Do you care? Are you paying attention? Do you think you're too cool for him? Do you think you're too, you don't need help, you don't need a savior, you don't need forgiveness? Friends, get real with yourself. We need Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died for your sins, and he's speaking to you right now through his word. Are you listening? Are you like, may, are you maybe sitting here wondering, I, you know, i Like the Ethiopian eunuch went all the way up to Jerusalem. Why? He's searching for something. Are you searching for something? Is there a hole in your chest? Is something missing? I'm going to suggest to you this morning that it's someone who is missing. It's our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. He loves you. He's prepared a place for you. You need forgiveness. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus became and did everything that we could not do and we could not be. He who knew no sin became sin, died on a cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That's an incredible statement. And Philip wants this guy to know. And this guy is hungry. My prayer is that you be hungry for the word of God. So verse 35. So Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. So the gospel is proclaimed. Philip opened his mouth. A foreigner is introduced to life eternal. Philip knew what to do. And this, this is, this is, this is, convicting for me, and it's also, I, I'm fired up about it. Philip knew what to do. You know, when I was an apprentice, when I worked, for an, I worked for an architectural metal and glass company, and when I was an apprentice, your job is to show up and shut up. That's it. Like, and I'm just, just as a bonus, if anyone here this morning is going into the trades, you're going to be an apprentice, or you are an apprentice, and, uh, I want to help. <laughs> be 10 minutes early, or you're five minutes late, right? And have your tools, Have every single tool that you can think of and and a pad of paper and a pencil and an extra one just in case. And just remove the term I know from your vocabulary. Just don't say that ever. Just don't ever say that. I, I know. Don't ever say it. When I was an apprentice, I remember I worked with this one guy. His name was Tom. And he was mean. I hope he listens to this sermon. I hope that somehow the Lord directs him to this sermon. Tom, I love you. You were horrible to work for. He used to... He was this—he is this big Irish guy, six foot four, three hundred and twenty pounds of raw muscle. He was a brilliant—he was a brilliant glass worker, and he would—he would grab me by the ear, and he would just take me through the job site. You know, in some of these buildings, they're ten, twelve, sixteen stories tall, and we get to a thing. We got to do a thing, and Tom's like, "Give me." I need, a, I need a straight edge. Okay, so we got a straight So I need a level. I need a, I need a glass cutter. I need. So, and I've got all these things. I've got my, my big bag of tools, and I'm getting. And then he'd get a phone call hey, we need you up on the fifth floor for this. So now we're going up to the fifth floor, and I'm chugging my tool bag, and we get to the fifth floor, and now Tom needs one of these, and he needs one of these. And so I, I give him those. And then we get down to the seventh floor because there's something that, that needs our attention there. And it, it is a premium as an apprentice to have the tools that you need given any sort of weird situation in the dark at the end of the day 16 stories up you need to have your tools at a moment's notice otherwise you're taking the elevator down 16 floors past the porta potties it's disgusting getting into the truck and getting and then you and then you just look like an idiot you need to have your tools as an apprentice you need to have your tools and philip has his tools he's in samaria and on a whim Completely unexpected, completely unpredictable. The the Spirit of God says, go. A, he's obedient. He doesn't argue. He goes. But he gets there, and this man is reading from Isaiah 53, and Philip goes, I got it. I know what to do here. I know what to do with this. I've got the tools. Unexpected, unprovoked. All of a sudden, I'm in this situation. I didn't see it coming. Boom, done. Let's do this. And so opening his mouth, he starts with that scripture and he gives this Ethiopian man the good news. He proclaimed the good news of Jesus to him. We need to know the scriptures for ourselves and we need to know the scriptures for others. The bus stop, the grocery store, wherever, wherever. Walking down the street, picking up your kids from school, we need to be able to interpret the scriptures and point people to Jesus Christ. Notice that Philip doesn't say this. He doesn't say, well, you know, Isaiah 53, I tell you what, go home, sit in the grass, smoke a joint and decide what it means for you. (laughs) Whatever your truth is, man, it's all relative, it's all good, your truth, my truth, then I'm not gonna impede on you, I'm not gonna tell you what you should believe about anything, you go home and read Isaiah 53 and whatever you come up with, that's what's true for you, man, right on. That's not what he does. The scriptures are narrow, they're specific, and they're immutable. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word remains. Matthew chapter seven, verse 14, the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Philip uses this opportunity to point this man directly to Jesus Christ and him alone. There is salvation in no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men and women by which we must be saved. He points to Jesus Christ. This is the most inclusive and exclusive belief that there is. People accuse Christianity of being narrow and we have to say guilty as charged, but the thing is is that it doesn't exclude people. It excludes other options of salvation. That's what it excludes. It's inclusive to everybody. And that's what this story is partly about, Philip was in Jerusalem with all of his Hebrew friends. He went to Samaria, and now he's talking to a man from Ethiopia. The gospel of Jesus is for everybody. Jesus said it, Matthew 28, every, every ethnicity, go, baptize, proclaim the gospel. It's inclusive and it's exclusive. It's Jesus alone. Yeah, it's, it's amazing if that this man was even reading the scriptures. I'm not sure where he got them. I'm not sure where he got a scroll of Isaiah, but you know, he traveled 1,500 miles to Jerusalem to worship, and when he got there, he would have been turned around at the door and told to leave. Deuteronomy 23 verse one says, no one who is emasculated or has had his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of Yahweh. He would have been excluded. From worship he would have been excluded from the temple 1500 miles yeah, this would have been like maybe six months there six months back maybe maybe 10 months to a year total he was gone away from his home away from his job Do you think he had a job when he got back what was this guy risking to go to jerusalem dangerous long hot arduous anything could go wrong at any moment and that's just one direction. Then he's gotta get back home. Is he even gonna have a job when he, gets back, when he gets back home? I don't know, but when he got to the temple, he would've been turned around because he's a eunuch. He would've been told, sorry, this isn't for you. Devastate. that's horrible. I'm gonna interject something here. If this man was reading the scriptures as diligently as it seems, and if Philip was explaining things as well as it seems, then it's possible to, to conjecture that Eventually, if not today, in this moment, eventually, this this Ethiopian man would have come just a, a couple chapters ahead in Isaiah 56 and read these words. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to Yahweh say, Yahweh will separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me, and hold fast to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, and a name that is better than that of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will never be cut off. This Ethiopian man gave up the possibility of family for the sake of success, and in the gospel of Jesus, he's promised an eternal family forever. A huge family, a family from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And this is the beautiful thing about our Jesus is faith in Jesus is the only faith that says we do not make our way into his graces, into his abode, into his home. We do not make our way into relationship with him by sacrifice and dedication and success which it seems like up to this point, this Ethiopian man was pretty good at the sacrifice, the dedication and success, but he was turned away from the temple. God came down to reach us. God came down to us. We do not earn our way up to him with religion of prohibition or with performance, how many verses we memorize, how morally upright we are. All I heard, of, I heard one preacher say, When it comes to Jesus, all we need is need. All we need is nothing. Jesus, save me. Psalms 119, I'm yours, save me. That's it. He opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. This man was turned away from the temple, but then he heard the good news of Jesus, and he was welcomed into a relationship with God, and we all need it because we are all excluded from the presence of God. All of us come to the temple of the Lord, and we're, we're excluded. That's what all the Old Testament's about. All of the sacrifices, all of the blood, all of the rituals, all of the washings, all of it was because we can't just come into God's presence willy-nilly. We're sinners, and he is holy, and he is perfect, and so we need to be washed. We need to be atoned. We need to be cleaned up, but the problem In scripture, what we're we're shown in the Bible is that it is absolutely impossible for us to do that on our own. God loves us so much that he made a way available. It's inclusive and it's exclusive. It's for everybody, but it is one way, the name of Jesus Christ, that is it. We all deserve to be turned away before the presence of the Lord. But Philip said, hey, I got good news. This, this passage that you're reading, the, the prophet is not saying it about himself, he's saying it about Jesus Christ. And the man becomes a believer as they went down along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now verse 37 in my translation may not be in your translation, but if it is, it's in brackets. And Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Just a quick word on a technicality. Th- that. Verse 37 is not in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts. It seems as if somebody put that in there as a marginal gloss, sort of as like as an explanation. If you're gonna be baptized in the name of Jesus, you need to believe that he is the son of God, come to seek and to save the lost, who was crucified, raised from the dead. Uh, and so someone put that in there, that this, just, you know, just to clarify, that this, this Ethiopian man believed in Jesus rightly. And so he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so here is conversion. He's converted. This man becomes a believer. It's not, it's not willy-nilly. It's, it's not take or leave it. It's not make up your own end of the story. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, go and proclaim the gospel and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this man is baptized The spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and the eunuch no longer saw him but went on his way rejoicing. I have no idea what to make of that, but it would be fun. And so verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotus and as he passed through, he kept using his tools. He knew the Bible. He believed in Jesus. He was inspired. He was filled up. He was born again of the spirit of God and he continued to proclaim the gospel everywhere that he went to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. The next time we see Philip, he's older, he lands in Caesarea and he stays there, he meets a nice girl, he buys her a kombucha, they have four daughters, they become prophetess. That's in Acts chapter 21. But for now, the story is left off. Friends, I, I don't really know how to end this. You know, I, I, I want us to be hungry and I want that hunger to drive all sorts of things, Bible studies and prayer groups and ministries and coming to church, learning the word of God, learning the word of God. And my, my prayer is that, Peter tells us, 2 Peter, add to your faith knowledge, no, not, for, not for the sake of of passing a test or for for getting into seminary or something like that, those things are fine, but knowing the word of God for yourself so you could follow Jesus, so you could know him, and that that knowing would lead to love and obedience and an excitement and an affection, that the natural byproduct is to just tell people about him and to obey him, go to Gaza. Why, there's nothing down there. Do what I told you, that's hard for us. It's really hard for me. But we have to understand, we have to know his word, and we have to obey. And I'll confess, man, I get to Romans 13, obeying the governing authorities around you, and I'm like, no way. I have to repent of that. And I have to obey the speed limit and stop signs. It's hard to do. There's only one king. There's only one savior. There's only one way out of hell. There's only one way into eternal felicity with God and with each other for all of eternity, and it is through Jesus Christ. And he wrote us a book. It can't get any easier than that. And now you can listen to it. The ESV 2020 has a nice northern Irish accent lady reading it to you. It's wonderful. We don't have an excuse. Let's read our word. Let's, let's see what God has to say to us and obey him when we disagree with him, which happens a lot. With that, I'm gonna close in prayer. The band can come back up. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for coming and living a real human life. The mystery of being God and man, truly God and truly human simultaneously that you lived a human existence, and you were tempted in every way that we are, but you never sinned, not once in word, thought, or deed, and that is the perfection, that is the righteousness, that is the standard that we need, That is, and it is the standard that we do not have, and we cannot attain any place else. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would move by the power of your spirit, and you would convince people that you would, that you would, you would break down walls of hostility. You would break down walls of wrong thinking, false beliefs, lies, manipulations, and everything else, Lord, that you would get to the heart of anyone who is seeking this morning. or If they've wound up in this church and they're thinking, what am I doing here? Lord, bug them. Draw them. Bring them to repentance. Bring them to confession. Bring them to crying out for Jesus. No other name under heaven given among men and women by which we must be saved. Jesus, you've done it all. You lived the perfect life. You died the death that we deserve. You took the wrath that we deserve so that we can have your inheritance, so that we can have you in your kingdom forever. God, I pray for those of us who are believers in you, who are born again, who are following after you, that you would help us to endure, that you would help us to run the race that is set before us, and that you would remind us anew that you would, this morning would be a, a refreshing, a time of refreshment from the presence of you yourself. That you would stoke us up again to proclaim the gospel to the world around us, not to be enemies, not to be vicious or cynical or angry, not to see other people as enemies, but to see them as your children, made in your image. Help us to love. The world around us. Jesus, you yourself said, I have been sent into the world, and so you, my disciples, my followers, I send you into the world. Lord, help us to obey wisely as we are in the world and remain unstained by the world. We trust you with all of these things. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your sacrifice and for your life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.